Here we go. You're listening to Long Gospel on this Monday, December the 13th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at one of the readings for the coming Sunday, which is the last Sunday in Advent, the fourth Sunday in Advent. But before we get to that, I do want to remind you that we have now become a tax-deductible organization, law and gospel. And therefore, if you send us any funds to help us with paying our bills, and we have about $6,000 in bills to pay, and so we would certainly appreciate a check. You make the check out to law and gospel and mail it to Law and Gospel, and then Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. 63132. Okay, Old Testament reading is from Micah, Chapter 5. The epistle is an ongoing reading from Hebrews chapter 10, and the gospel is from Luke chapter 1. The gospel is when Mary arises right after talking to Gabriel that she is going to have a baby without a man involved. Remember, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And she enters into the house of Zechariah and greets Elizabeth. Remember, Zechariah was the, well, individual in charge of the temple when Gabriel came to him and said that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a child, even though she was way past childbearing age. He did not believe it, and he became dumb unable to speak until John was born. But when Mary enters into the house of Elizabeth, Jesus is only a few year, a few hours old in her womb, having just left Gabriel. And the baby leaps in the womb of Elizabeth. And John was six months in that womb. And it says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leap for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And that, of course, was from Gabriel. Mary believed it, and at that original time, Zechariah did not. So there's so much that could be said about this text but we're actually going to go to a different text in an in-depth look at Hebrews. But before we leave Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45, 
this is a wonderful example to those who don't believe that a baby in the womb is a human being. John the baptizer, he leaped for joy. He was six months old. And Jesus was only a few hours old. So who's going to deny that children in the womb are human beings? Well, every woman who murders her child through abortion, that's who denies it because they have put the ways of the world in front of the ways of God. So this is very important to understand why we baptize infants, because they can have faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's one of the gifts given in baptism. As Peter says in Acts chapter 2, when you're baptized, you receive not only an assurance of the forgiveness of sins, but you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that comes with faith, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, in yesterday's sermon, we dealt with the situation where Jesus says, those least in the kingdom of God are greater than John the baptizer. And we try to flesh that out because how can we say that a, a believer in the Holy Christian Church is greater than John the baptizer who gave his life because of his speaking of Jesus Christ? Well, the fact was that the church birthday was Pentecost, and that's when individuals received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no doubt that John had the Holy Spirit, but so did Elizabeth here. And we need to make a distinction between the gift of the Holy Spirit given to the prophets, to Elizabeth, to John, and the gift given at Pentecost. The gift of Pentecost was actually receiving the Holy Spirit within you, whereas the other times that it speaks about somebody filled with the Holy Spirit, it was kind of like the disciples, you know, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures. That wasn't a Pentecostal filling. It was instead an inspirational filling. And God does that for many people, that he gives them wisdom, insight, an ability to translate and understand the scriptures. And so therefore, they are filled with the Holy Spirit, but that is distinct from the Pentecost baptism. So we could say a lot more about Luke 1, but let's go on now with the Hebrews text. We, we talk a lot about the distinctions between law and gospel. And my favorite passages, of course, are some of the parables. Then you've got Romans 3, 19 to 28, and the third chapter of Galatians. These are really very helpful 
in understanding a distinction between law and gospel. The law are the commands of God, which he desires you to follow, which you cannot. Nobody since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, except for Jesus, have been able to follow the law and obey it perfectly. But we can still do good works after we have been saved, motivated by the Holy Spirit. And it's very clear that none of these good works save us. They're actually done after we have been saved. So, verse 5 of Hebrews 10. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Now, that's a fascinating statement on the part of Jesus that he makes. Because was it not God who instructed through Moses the sacrifices, what we call the ceremonial laws, to be followed? So depending on what sin you did, you would do a certain sacrifice. It could be a grain sacrifice or more serious sins. It was an animal sacrifice. What were they for if God really did not take pleasure in them? He didn't take pleasure in the offerings and the sin offerings because they were misused by his people. People got the impression, well, I'm saved because I'm doing these burnt offerings and sin offerings. And they forgot the reason for those offerings. That was to point to the one who would come that John the baptizer introduced as, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. So sacrifices and offerings are not desired by God. And, and yet that is often what even some Lutherans say when you ask them the question, how do you know you're going to heaven? And then they'll give a list of sacrifices and offerings. They may even say, well, I give contributions to church every week. I attend church worship services. I come to the Bible classes. I read my Bible at home. I say prayers. I bring my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the list goes on and on as people boast about what they are doing in order to be saved. But Ephesians is very clear that we're not saved by our works. We should not boast about them. We're saved by grace, through faith, on account of Jesus Christ. Christianity is the only religion in the whole world, if you even want to call it that, where works don't make a difference as to whether you go to heaven or hell. 
in every other religion, works make a big difference, but not in Christianity. Because in Christianity, works are the result after you have become fully saved in doing a good work. So God, he judges works not on the basis of the outward deed, but on the basis of motivation. I've told this story before. When I was a kid, I had to cut the lawn every week. I'd wait till Saturday, hope it would rain. Dad would come home and say, Dad, I tried to cut the lawn, but it's raining. But then I got my driver's license. So what did I do when I got home from school on Friday? I cut the lawn. Dad would come home. He was an insurance salesman, home around six. I would say, hi, Dad. Good to see you. Uh, notice that the lawn is cut. He would say, good job, Tom. And I would say, by the way, can I have a car tonight? And therefore, I was cutting the lawn, not so much because I love to obey my father, but I wanted the car. See, that's what Christianity is all about. When God sees a good work, he can judge the heart as to whether the motivation is because of our relationship to Jesus Christ or because of some self-interest thing that we want to get out of our good work. So many a time, we may do a good work, and it will have a double motivation. There may be something in it for us. We look good in the eyes of others, but we also do it because of our love for Jesus Christ. So a lot of times we'll see somebody who's hurt or need help, and we'll be glad to help them because we have been helped by Jesus Christ. That's why good works only can be done after you're totally saved. And if you're totally saved, then good works cannot be the reason why you're saved. They're instead the evidence to God that you are a Christian. Just take a look at the sheep and the goats where he talks about the good works the sheep do, whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers. They can hardly remember them, but God measured them. So, God is not really pleased with burnt offerings and sin offerings when we do them to earn our way to heaven. You cannot merit your way to heaven. The only way you get to heaven is you inherit your way to heaven. And what does that mean? That means it is a gift. It's part of Christ's last will and testament that he gave at the Last Supper. Take, eat, take, drink for the forgiveness of your sins. So, Rather than doing sacrifices and offerings, Jesus says in verse 7 of Hebrews 10, Behold, 
I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now he's referring, of course, to the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, Jesus learned that he would die on a cross. Psalm 22, pierced in hands and feet, that he would be whipped in Isaiah, and that the main reason for his death was the Lord has laid on him the punishment for the sins of the whole world. So the letter to the Hebrews explains what Jesus says in verse 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. So that was part of the ceremonial law, but they were not done in order to win your way to heaven or to offset your sins. They were done as a reminder of the one who would be coming to take away your sins, which John the baptizer even proclaimed. Behold, I have come to do your will. The highest glory that a Christian gives to God is to obey his will. And we need to be careful when we say that because I said that's the highest glory a believer can give. An unbeliever cannot obey the will of God because the obedience necessitates proper motivation. Now, does this mean you need to be understanding what your motivation is. No, because the Holy Spirit is within you, you do many good works spontaneously without thinking of, oh, I'll do that. Like when you went to church on Sunday, did you say, well, I'm going to church because I'm motivated to do that by the Holy Spirit? No, you just look forward to going to church, to hearing the word of God, to being prepared for the day of final judgment. And therefore, the more you hear the word of God, the more you desire to do the will of God. In fact, that is even shown when we sin. How? Because when you sin, what do you desire to do? You desire to repent of that sin. And what is repentance? Repentance, which was the message of John the baptizer and also the message of Jesus, as well as the message of hearing the gospel, was that we would be contrite over our sin. The more we hear about how Jesus died on the cross, how he suffered for us, how he took upon himself the punishment of our sins, the more we love him. And the more, therefore, we not only desire to do his will, but we are quite contrite when we do not do his will 
and sin. So every other religion is based on obedience to the law. That is, they really believe that by their works, they are saved. And so when Jesus says, I have come to do your will, the very next line, this is verse 9 of Hebrews 10, he abolishes the first in order to establish the second. Now, the book of Hebrews is all about the abolishment of the first covenant. That was that covenant when the people were on Mount Sinai and they made many sacrifices. Blood was poured on the altar and over the people. And the people said, all these things that God has commanded us, we will obey. Well, it didn't last very long. Soon they were worshiping a golden calf. And of course, when they got to the promised land, they refused to go in. They didn't believe the promises of God that he would help them in their capture of the land of Canaan. So he sent them back for another 38 years in the wilderness. And that's why they were in the wilderness for 40 years until all the people, except for the two faithful spies, were dead in the wilderness and were not permitted to enter the promised land. We're not saying they went to hell. No, they were probably saved. But there was a consequence of their disobedience, as there is a consequence of every one of our sins. It is impossible for you to sin without a negative consequence occurring. You may not recognize it, but it definitely takes place. That's the order that God has established. So, getting saved by the law is now abolished. We don't have to be good in order to be saved. We can be good because we are saved. Verse 10 kind of concludes this passage from Hebrews 10. And by that will, namely the will of God, Jesus Christ, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In other words, when we receive the Lord's Supper, it is not a continuation of Jesus dying again and again and again. No, he only once died on the cross, and that was sufficient because he obeyed the will of God. He obeyed the will of his Father in following the commands that the entire Trinity had come up with before the foundation of the world. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1 to learn about that predestination. And God still so loves us that therefore, when he talks to us, he gives us the good news of the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And that teaching 
is found throughout the scripture. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, there's even a passage where God says he will sprinkle us with water and we will be saved. Romans 6 talks very clearly about being saved. So this is a new covenant. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by the works of Jesus Christ. And to that, we are very, very happy and joyous, especially during this Advent season as we prepare for the festivities surrounding the Christmas season and for that time when we, on the day of judgment, will be taken into heaven forever and ever, not on the basis of our works, but because of the faith given to us by the Holy Spirit. On the next Long Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll be looking at the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. What does that mean? Join with us. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.